Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. And Father, we ask even now as we just stand here in your presence in the presence of your Son and your Spirit, that you would just help us. Lord, you said if we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. So do that now in this moment of our worship as we come to the Word of God. We pray that you would draw near and take your Word that you inspired and every intent and reason behind your giving us the record of these words would just sink into our hearts and that you would speak to each one of us in a personal and a direct way, that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and power speaking personally to our hearts. Teach us, Lord, now by your spirit's ministry, we ask believing in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, if you perhaps like me ever wished on occasion that maybe the Lord would just reveal a little bit more to you in your life. I think that's something we all would probably answer yes to. And this passage that we're going to look at together this morning seems to have an emphasis upon the subject of revelation. Uh, particularly revelation from the Lord. In fact, we'll see as we look at it together through Jesus' statements, we will see what reveals whether someone loves Jesus truly or whether they honestly don't love Jesus. We'll see from Jesus' statements here that Jesus wants to reveal himself to us personally. In fact, he wants to reveal himself more and more deeply on an ongoing level. We'll see as well how spiritual revelation actually happens. Jesus will say it's in response to our love for him and our desire to obey and follow him and that it happens through an internal ministry of the Spirit bearing witness to things inside of us. Jesus here reveals how a person can experience peace 
when their heart becomes troubled or when something causes us to be afraid in this life. And Jesus even mentions here as well, revealing to us how the plan of Satan is not going to succeed in his day. And the same is true in the day in which we're living. Now, remember the backdrop. It's important to chapters 14, 15, and 16. We're amidst this sort of private teaching of Jesus with his 12 disciples now. We often call it the upper room discourse. It's a matter of hours before Jesus is going to be crucified and put to death. So these are sort of his final words alone with his disciples. And Jesus, remember, in the prior section has just assured his disciples that after he departs and he goes back to heaven to be with his father from where he originally came, that he and the father were going to send to them the third person of the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit. And that the person of the Holy Spirit would now come and basically replace the ministry role in the presence of Jesus in the same way that he helped his people who were following him during the time that he was physically present with them in the body of flesh. And the Holy Spirit would actually come and live inside of followers of Jesus. There was this change coming as Jesus would ascend back into heaven after his death and resurrection. The spirit would now come and live inside of the people of God, giving them help as the helper, as we've talked about and we'll see again. And Jesus would very much still be with his followers, that he wasn't abandoning them, but he would now be with them through the person of the spirit Instead, In fact, if you look back in verse 18, remember Jesus said to them there, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That is come back to you. He then said in verse 20, at that day, you will know that I am in the father and you in me. And there it is again. And I in you. Now, Jesus is going to keep discussing this spiritual concept and the implications of this coming change where the spirit would now come and indwell followers of Christ. And he keeps revealing more spiritual realities about these things as we go on. Look with me back in verse 21 as we pick it up. Jesus says, and he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me notice again jesus returns and i emphasize the word returns back to this same idea or concept that he stated originally back in verse 15 indicating that love for jesus would be demonstrated through obedience toward jesus or obedience to jesus his voice and his word jesus says here again clearly the person who knows the things that i command and then chooses to obey those commands to keep those things that I say, the point Jesus is making is this is how it will be revealed that someone truly loves me. Not by all the other things we want to mention, not by just saying very, uh, you know, articulately, oh, I so love the Lord or singing, I love the Lord. Jesus said it's not by what people say, but by what they show in the fruit of a life that is geared towards and directed towards obedience to Jesus, to his lordship and his word. And the reason is because love, we know this humanly, love motivates a person to want to please the one that they love. We watch this. Some of us have done this. You know, we, we fall in love with someone. And when we fall in love with someone, our thoughts, our interests become consumed with wanting to find out what pleases them, what makes them happy, what we can do to serve them. This is what love naturally does. Well, the same translates over and is true for the spiritual life as well. 
when a person has a heart that is motivated by wanting to find out what pleases the Lord and how can I obey the Lord and how can I serve the Lord, he says this is something that demonstrates love for the Lord. Love can be measured. Love can be seen by the fruit of its evidence. And when a person consistently reveals a desire to please the Lord, shown by obedience towards his commands and obeying his voice, that reveals they have a true love for the Lord. Now listen, none of us are perfect. I'm not saying that we're ever going to hit the mark perfectly, but there should be this consistency of a desire to want to obey and to honor and please the Lord if we truly love the Lord. This is the point Jesus is making once again. And now we talked about the truth extensively when we were back in verse 15 when it first surfaced. So I don't want to uh, monopolize a lot of time on our discussion about that. We discussed it in depth in verse 15 and some of the implications. Yet we do notice that Jesus here keeps repeating this same sentiment, the same spiritual concept again and again he mentions it in verse 21 we saw that as we read this morning he says the same thing again in verse 23 if you love me you'll keep my word and then in verse 24 the reverse if a person doesn't keep my word jesus says they don't love me what i want you to notice here as we go on this morning is that jesus kind of expands this idea now to clarify and emphasize that though love is shown through obedience that by the same token, the spiritual life is not, however, just about religious rule keeping because we can err to that mistake as well and become legalistic and rather religious in the way that we relate to God and relate to the Lord. The, the spiritual life is intended to be on a loving relationship in a personal experience with God. That's why Jesus goes on, look at it there in the text, verse 21, to emphasize the point of love. He says, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You notice Jesus is indicating the spiritual life is characterized by a love experience. This is what Christianity is genuinely about. It's about a love relationship between a person and the Lord. And he indicates here, it's like the love experience between a father and a child, that kind of love. Or like the love experience between a husband and a wife. What it's really about, Jesus is trying to say, this is what it's all about. It's about people loving me and people loving my Father in heaven and our love for people and them experiencing our love for them. This is what it's about, that we're experiencing his love for us and we're expressing our love towards him. And Jesus wants to make sure that we understand that that's the key thing. Now look, however, in verse 21, the end of it, what Jesus indicates is a part of the rewarding experience when we have love towards him. When we love the Lord, Jesus says there's a rewarding experience that comes with that. Jesus says, and I will manifest myself to that person who loves me and obeys me. I'll reveal myself to that one that loves me. This is what Jesus is trying to indicate. When people love one another, again, let's translate back to a human relationship. When people love one another they, and, and they begin to fall in love, they want to know each other more intimately. This is the natural experience of falling in love and so forth. People pursue one another because they want to get to know one another better. And typically, as you're developing a greater love for someone, you're getting closer, more intimate, you reveal more of yourself to that person. 
These are natural experiences. Well, the same is true with the idea of a relationship with Jesus. As Jesus sees our love for him, as Jesus sees your desire to obey him because you care about him and you love him, he rewards that heart attitude by manifesting himself to you in a greater way. By revealing more about himself to you because he sees that you love him and so he wants to reveal more to you of who he is and what his heart is and what matters to him and he wants to take you deeper in the relationship and reveal more things to you about his ways and his heart and his plans and his purposes. And can I ask a question this morning? Would you not like to see a little bit more about the Lord? Wouldn't you like to know the Lord a little bit more deeply and, and, and understand more about his heart and what matters to him and know him more greatly? Well, as you love him and desire to obey him and you manifest that towards him, he reciprocates with rewarding you with a greater revelation of who he is. And he reveals more of himself to you. He allows you to see more things about him because he knows that you want to serve him. And he knows that you want to obey him. And as he knows that you want to obey him, he wants to show you more and more things. Well, verse 22, Judas, and John makes it clear to tell us it's not Judas Iscariot, a different one. He then said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now remember, back in verse 19, Jesus had said, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But then he said to his followers, but you'll still see me. And now he's just said in the prior verse we looked at that he's going to reveal himself or manifest himself continuously to greater and greater degrees to the person who loves him and wants to follow him and obey him. So Judas wants to understand here how that's going to be possible. He's scratching his head saying, wait a minute, I'm trying to put this together. Here. How is it that you're going to reveal more of yourself to us but yet the world is not going to see more of you, but yet we'll continually see more of you. Well, Jesus answered, verse 23, and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So here's what Jesus is indicating here. Once again, that the revelation of himself will happen not visually with the eye, physically, because in a body of flesh, yes, he was there for a time, but he's going to die, resurrect, and ascend back into heaven. And the physical bodily presence of Jesus wouldn't be with them anymore. So how would Jesus continue to show himself and reveal himself? It was now going to happen internally by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God living inside of them, bearing witness to them internally. In verse 23, Jesus referring to himself and God the Father, remember what he said there? He said, we will come to the follower and make our home with him. Jesus indicates the presence of him and the Father, the Trinity, the Spirit, of course, included in this, we're going to come and permanently reside inside his followers who love him. Now, again, how does the presence of God, the Father, the Son, inhabit a person and live in them internally? By the person of the Holy Spirit. By the third person of the Trinity, as Jesus is teaching in this section, the person of the Spirit of God. Again, take notice, we see the reality of the Trinity at work here. 
the Father, the Son, the Spirit, working in unity, working in conjunction in the spiritual life, the, the presence of God, though invisible, though unseen, Jesus says he will indwell you and be within you. And it's by that experience, I will continue to reveal myself to you inwardly. Again, if you're a note taker, 1 Corinthians 2, you may want to jot down because there it tells us that as the Spirit of God works inside the life of a believer, it tells us, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for us. And then it says this, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit by his spirit internally bearing witness with our spirit, revealing things to us. This is how Jesus will manifest and reveal himself inwardly, speaking to your heart, giving testimony to the inward part of your life of who he is communicating with you inwardly. And notice again that this ministry of revelation of the Lord is in direct proportion. Again, it's mentioned verse 23 and 24 in direct proportion to our love for the Lord and our desire to obey him. These things have a direct connection. You notice that Jesus restates, it's the fourth time there, the connection between obeying him and loving him. In verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then look at the beginning of verse 24. And he who does not love me, the reverse, does not keep my words. So again, Jesus is conveying, this is a purposeful emphasis here so that we don't miss it. Here he puts it in the verse, when a person does not love me, Jesus says, he does not keep my words. That is when a person lives in an ongoing lifestyle. Again, I'm not talking about a periodic mistake, but when a person lives in an ongoing lifestyle where they're not obeying the Lord and they clearly demonstrate by their ongoing decisions or their action and behavior that they really have no true desire to obey the Lord, to obey the word of God, to submit to Jesus, to follow him or to please him. That simply proves point blank. They don't love the Lord. They just genuinely don't love the Lord. They may say the right things, but if they say, oh, I love you, Lord, but then they live for themselves in self-love and sin, they don't love the Lord. Jesus says, if they don't obey me, it's an indication of where their heart is. Now, I think the reason Jesus is illustrating this other side of this is to kind of show a spiritual contrast to this whole concept of his revelation of himself. Here's what I mean by this. In the same way, Jesus said, our love for the Lord will be rewarded by more revelation of himself to us because he knows we love him and we want to obey him. So Jesus mentioned that in the prior verses that when we love the Lord, that's revealed by a desire to want to obey the Lord and therefore Jesus will reveal more of himself to us because he knows we want to obey him. In the contrasting manner, I think Jesus is trying to say, if someone really doesn't love the Lord, and they show by their lifestyle, they're not interested in obeying the Lord. They're not interested in pleasing the Lord or obeying his will or obeying the word. Then why would Jesus keep showing them more things? If they're just going to further ignore the Lord and they're going to just further dishonor the Lord, Jesus isn't going to show them more things to disobey and help them add to their guilt. <laughs> and cause them to bring more dishonor to him. And I think this is important to remember because perhaps at times in our lives, if you feel maybe the Lord has kind of been a little bit silent 
Or, or maybe you're sensing that the Lord's not showing you things. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps it could be because maybe you have indicated to him by your recent decisions and actions and behavior, your disregard and disobedience toward him in your life. And perhaps if that would be the case and you're not going to obey what he shows you anyway, he's just responding in a way of, well, why give you more info? You're showing me by the way that you're living your life that when I speak to you, you don't obey me anyway. And you know what my word says and you don't seem to be obeying my word, so why would I give you more information? And sometimes the Lord perhaps will withhold further revelation, perhaps to protect us from greater guilt and to get us to come to the realization that if that is the case, that maybe there's a need to repent and to reverse the trend. And we can easily do that. Well, how? Obey what he's shown you. Obey what he's shown you. Micah tells us this in chapter 6. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Notice, he has shown thee. Past tense. He's already shown you. Oh, Lord, show me. Show me what to do. And he said, I've already shown you. You're not obeying it. You're not, you're not obeying what I've shown you. And we can easily reverse this trend in our lives by simply starting to obey daily in the small ways the Lord's speaking to our hearts. Or when we read the Word of God, just don't get excited that you know more information. Read the Word of God and obey what it says to you. Again, this book was not purposely intended to just be something where knowledge would cause our head to puff up. Love builds up. And when we get the Word of God into our life, it's not just so that we can walk around with more spiritual facts and feel more spiritual about ourselves. It was given to us to reveal God that we might live for God and obey what it says and carry it out. And as you start to show the Lord loving obedience and an interest to obey him, guess what he'll do? As he sees you starting to have a heart to obey his word, he then starts to give more light and he starts to reveal more of himself. Because he says, oh, I see his heart. He wants to obey me. I'm going to show him more because whenever I show him something, he obeys it. Whenever I reveal something to him, he carries it out. He follows it. And therefore, the Lord opens the windows of greater revelation. He shows more of himself to us. And we grow in our depth of understanding of who Jesus is. It's a beautiful thing the Lord offers to our lives. Look what he says going on. Verse 25. And these things I've spoken to you, Jesus says, while being present with you. So he's saying some things I've explained to you while living as a man in a body of flesh. I've spoken these things while with you about the spiritual life, yet the time of ministry in Jesus' life physically was limited. He'd go back to heaven, but there was still so much more to be understood about the ways of God and spiritual things to discover. So Jesus says, I've spoken some things while present with you. Going on, verse 26, but he says, he says, you have no idea. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So again, as back in verse uh, 20, uh, excuse me, verse 16, where Jesus introduced this idea of the helper, the Holy Spirit, he comes back to this point again of the ministry of the Holy Spirit living within us to help us in the spiritual life, to assist us how to live for the Lord and serve God in our lives. And, and here he reveals another thing to us about this glorious ministry of the Spirit within us. 
We have these things described all throughout the New Testament, the many ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Two things Jesus mentions here I draw your attention to. The first thing he speaks that the Spirit helps us with in our lives is the Spirit helps by giving supernatural explanation of the things of God. Jesus says here, he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit becomes this internal instructor, the very presence of God himself as an internal instructor to assist you in your understanding of the things of God, to help you be able to grasp things about God, to understand God's nature and God's ways. He teaches you internally regarding the word of God itself. Now, I want you to just ponder this. I mean, this is a fascinating thing to really consider. The very author of this book, the Spirit of God himself, this is God-breathed, inspired by the Spirit. The very author of this book lives inside of you. People say, oh, I read the Bible, I just can't understand it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I read the Bible before I was saved and I couldn't understand it because the lights were out inside. And I'm not trying to discourage you from if you're new at Bible reading, you're getting acquainted with the Word of God. But listen, believe by faith what Jesus says is available to you if you're a Christian. The author, the Spirit of God himself of this Spirit-inspired book dwells inside of you and he can teach you all things. He can explain the Word of God. You don't even, you know, in a lot of degrees necessarily have to become overly dependent. And listen, the teaching pastoral ministry is a gift of the Spirit. It has its purpose. It has its place. I'm not diminishing that. It's a part of my calling. I understand that. But the glorious thing is every Christian has the author of the Word of God dwelling inside of them to teach you, to help you understand. I want you to consider this. If you're reading a regular book, let's say you're reading a novel or some book that a man wrote and you come to chapter 3, Paragraph 5 and sentence 2 and you read it. I wonder what he means there by that. I, just, I wonder what he means. Well, you could turn to someone else who's also read the same book and say, Hey, remember in chapter 3, paragraph 5, sentence 2? What do you think he means? And they say, Well, I read the whole book. So let me tell you. Here's what I'm pretty familiar with this guy's book. And I've read his other books. So this is what I think he means. Well, that may help, right? Because they're familiar with the author. But could you imagine if you could get on the phone and you could call the author himself and say, hey, when you wrote chapter 3, paragraph 5, verse 2, what, what, what did you mean there? Oh, this is what I meant when I wrote it. See, direct contact with the author. You have the author, the Spirit of God, of the Word of God inside of you to teach you all things to reveal things of the Word of God to help you grasp it and understand its meaning and its truth. It's a beautiful, beautiful ministry of the Spirit. Another ministry of the Spirit Jesus mentions in verse 26 is that the Spirit also helps us with supernatural recall. Let's call it that. Supernatural recall of spiritual truths spoken by the Lord. Jesus says, He, the Spirit, will bring to your remembrance all things that I said. So after Jesus' departure back into heaven, he'd no longer be with them physically, but Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell in you, and he's going to help you remember all the things you heard me say to you, the truths, the commands, the promises. He's going to help you recall and remember the things that I've said to you in your life by bringing those things to your remembrance. Now, I think personally this is indeed as well one of the ways 
in which the gospel records were written by supernatural recall. Think about it. We know the Spirit inspired people to record Scripture, but sometimes you may think, how did you know John remember all that stuff that Jesus said, that he could write a whole record like this? How, how could Matthew... In, in 28, how could he record all those events? I mean, what were these guys? Are photogenic memories? No, they had the Spirit of God helping their weak memory, giving them supernatural recall to remember the things that happened, to remember the things that Jesus said. What a glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit providing supernatural ability to remember things with our weak, finite human minds. What a glorious gift God has given to us to help us to remember spiritual truths that the Spirit of God within you brings back to your memory at times the Word of God that you've read and sown into your life. The Word of God that you've heard. The Spirit of God brings it back up. And there it is. And in this beautiful way, perhaps I'm about to enter into sin and the Holy Spirit all of a sudden brings this verse and with this restraining influence, it comes to my mind, the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, Tony. Amen. All right, Lord. You can tell that one happens frequently to me. Amen. But the Holy Spirit brings the word of God back up into your mind to restrain you from sinning. Or perhaps to bring a promise to your memory to help you be encouraged when you're worried or to receive counsel and what to do in a certain situation. I'll tell you, this ministry of the Holy Spirit is a great asset to ministering and serving the Lord as well. For example, you're trying to share the gospel with someone and I know you've experienced it before you're trying to share about Jesus with someone and you're talking to them and then all of a sudden, boy, here come these verses and you're thinking, you up there, you're thinking, man, I'm hot. Wow, look at that. No, you're not. You're a dumb person like me. The Holy Spirit is hot. And so he keeps bringing verses to your mind so that you can articulate sharing the gospel with someone in an effective way. I love this verse. It's phenomenal. I fully lean upon it in every counseling situation. Someone comes in to talk to me. Someone comes up to me to talk to me. I pray right away. Lord, by your spirit, bring the word of God to my heart and mind that I can direct them in what they're saying and what would help them to, to be able to, again, teach and convey. There are times, listen, yes, do I prayer, prepare? Do I study to show myself approved? Absolutely. But there are times when I am teaching the Word of God and the Holy Spirit just brings a verse into my mind, through my heart and out my mouth that it wasn't something I put in my notes. It was something that the Spirit of God, again, this is His ministry as He's doing this. What a beautiful thing that He aids our memory in this way. Jesus says He will bring to your remembrance the Word of God. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus says, verse 27, Then peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be Afraid. So Jesus assures, again, his followers here, of another promise that comes from the presence of God himself dwelling inside of us, and that's this, is as God's presence is within us, Jesus is able to grant to you and I ongoing peace in our lives. Now, I don't think Jesus said things randomly or for no purpose. Jesus, knowing all things going on in our lives, apparently must have sensed fear or concern in the lives of the disciples still over this realization that Jesus was about to leave. And Jesus doesn't want his followers to live troubled and afraid, whether it's challenges we're facing 
or whether it's concerns of the life ahead and what's going to happen down the road, those kind of things can disrupt the person's peace with it. When you face challenges, all of a sudden you start to get you know, frazzled and worried and concerned. All of a sudden now you, your peace begins to get disrupted within. Or maybe you're thinking about what's ahead and you're wondering, oh my goodness, how's it going to work out and this and that. And, and all of a sudden as those thoughts and realities come into your mind, you start to get troubled and concerned and fearful. Well, Jesus has an antidote he wants to offer to struggling disciples when they become fearful or when their heart becomes troubled, Jesus says, this is what it is. He says, my peace. I'll give my peace to you. I can grant you my peace. And not but just by giving you peace circumstantially, but he says, internally. I can give you an internal peace by my presence. Again, who is Jesus? The Prince of Peace. And as that Prince of Peace is ruling on your heart internally, he can dispatch peace to you to help you in that way internally, experientially. He can settle your heart by giving you a supernatural calm, a supernatural rest within that it's okay. It's going to be all right. I've got this under control, that inward sense of rest. Remember Jesus, we just studied this actually on uh, this past Friday evening over in Atlantic City with the kids there as we were spending time. Our lesson was about Jesus and the disciples in the storm. And how many times would Jesus be in the midst of a storm with his disciples and it, it would look like they were sinking and things were out of control and Jesus would just say, peace, be still, and everything would go calm. And he would just exercise his authority to calm a storm. The wind and the waves would just cease. Well, listen, in the same way, let's be real. When we are facing things, worried, fearful, concerned, what's it like? It's like a hurricane of emotions going on inside of us. And our mind becomes like a tornado and it just seems out of control. Well, listen, the same Jesus who could speak and calm a literal storm, he can speak peace and bring peace into a person's life and calm the storm with him. may not change the circumstances, but he can give you a peace internally so that you're not overwhelmed within. And notice, Jesus says this is part of the ministry of what he offers by his spirit, the peace that comes into our lives. And notice that peace Jesus gives, he says in verse 27, he says, it's not a peace like the world gives that I'm trying to give to you. Now, I appreciate that he said that because think about that. The world, through all the experiences it offers to people, it tries to convey to people that it will deliver peace, but it's false peace. It's a shallow peace. Uh, the world is always advertising false peace. If you do this, you'll find some peace within. If you pursue this, if you do that, oh, that will bring satisfaction and you will finally be, you can't be at peace until you pursue this. Or if you enter into this or, or, or pursue that direction, and, and there are all these things that the world offers to try and give people the idea that they can find some peace. And so often the reality is tragically that just leads very quickly to a false peace that disappears real quick. And here's what's worse. When the world gives this deceptive idea of peace through what it offers, it deceives and misguides people into unhealthy conditions and into unhealthy pursuits and ways of living that ultimately just robs their peace. I've been there, done that. Did that course a few times. Shake your head like you have as well. And, oh, this is going to give me, oh, I'm just looking for peace, man. And you pursue that and you realize this, this, this just robbed all my peace. 
This is miserable. See, true peace can only be found internally when you have the Prince of Peace reigning on your heart and you're submitted to his lordship and Jesus gives that kind of peace experientially from within through a relationship with him. That's why he can say as we experience his peace that he's going to give, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid because I have peace available for you. Perhaps you're here today and your heart is troubled over something. Maybe you are afraid genuinely of something that you're dealing with in your life. Well, Jesus reveals the answer. He has peace for you. Peace that he wants to give to you. My peace I give to you. He doesn't say perhaps you need this or perhaps you need that. And the world will prescribe, and I don't mean that, no pun intended, all kinds of other ideas for peace. But there's a peace that can come from Jesus Philippians chapter 4 tells us it's a peace of God which passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense, right? Perhaps you've experienced it where you pray and commit things to God and it's a peace that passes understanding. It bisects the mind. People, what, how can you be at peace with that? I don't know. God's just given me peace. It's a peace internally. It's a wonderful gift of knowing and living for the Lord that's available to his followers. Jesus goes on, verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. Again, this indication that he was leaving them was what it seems was troubling and unsettling them. But again, Jesus is indicating that, that he's not abandoning them. You see what he says again there in verse 28? You've heard me say I'm going away. This is the point they were somehow missing, but I'm coming back to you. I'm going away, but I'm coming back to you. Now, two ways that was true. Jesus was coming back to them by the indwelling of the Spirit within them. He's saying, I'm not abandoning you. Instead of walking by you in a body of flesh, I'm now going to indwell you spiritually. My presence will still be with you. This is what John 14 through 16 is all about. But secondly, Jesus also would be coming back to them most literally in his return back from heaven. If you glance back in chapter 14 to verses 2 and 3, remember this promise of Jesus? He says at the beginning of chapter 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you there in heaven, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. So Jesus was coming back to them in two ways. One, to dwell within them spiritually, but there was coming a day after a time that after Jesus prepared the place in heaven as he is for each one of us, that Jesus says, I'm going to come back and pick you up and I'm going to rescue you and get you out of this sinful world with all of its struggles and sickness and hardship and difficulties and I'm going to come and I'm going to rapture and remove my church remove my followers and bring them home to be with me and with my father to dwell there forever. How comforting to know when life is hard and our heart becomes troubled and we find ourselves afraid as we wrestle through things in this life to know these two promises that Jesus is with you. He's with you within. And more than that, he's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. And he's going to rescue you out of this and bring you home to glory soon when he removes you from this life to bring you to be with him. He then goes on, verse 28, to say, And if you loved me, you would rejoice that I said, I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. So Jesus reveals this understanding that rather than the disciples being disappointed 
about his departure. He says, actually, my departure is something that should make you rejoice. It should make you celebrate, for actually it's going to bring a greater spiritual experience. Jesus is saying, if you loved me, you really wouldn't be concerned about yourself. You would be happy for me that I'm getting to go back to be with my Father in heaven. And he's going to say, the reality is, that's going to make things better for everyone. It's going to make things even greater. Jesus going back to the presence of God from where he originally came indicates that the plan of God was completely successful for redemption. And that now as Jesus dwells once again there on the throne of God at the right hand of his Father as a victorious Savior and King and Lord, he is now working directly in conjunction with the Father there in heaven and the ministry and the help of God is only expanded through the joint accomplishment of the eternal work of the Father and the Son together. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 that Jesus is there now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Making intercession when we have continual failures with sin and making intercession to grant us help and power as we need it in our lives to follow him. Jesus is trying to say, listen, don't be bummed that I'm going away. He says, realize things are going to get better for you. It's better for you that I not keep living in the flesh. It's better for you that I accomplish my work in the flesh and I go back to the right hand of the Father because then what I and the Father will do by the Spirit of God working within you, he said, it's going to get better for everybody. It's going to get even more wonderful. Now, what did Jesus mean in verse 28 here when he makes that statement, my Father is greater than I? Well, listen, certainly, contextually, doctrinally, Jesus is not saying there that he's not equal with the Father in divinity or power or that he somehow is inferior to the Father in heaven. That would completely contradict everything that Jesus has been saying up to this point where he keeps claiming I and the Father are one and indicating that he is divine, that he is God in the flesh. And that's what caused Jesus all the trouble with the religious leaders. Jesus has been proclaiming he's the Son of God and equal with the Father. So he's not saying I'm not God by de declaring that what he's alluding to no doubt is how during his time living as a man in a body of flesh that Jesus had set aside some of his divine prerogatives that he exercised when he was there on the throne of God in heaven before he came to this earth as a man he chose for a time in his humanity to live as a man submitted to the father dependent upon the father and to take if you would an inferior position of humble servitude to be the savior for mankind but now Jesus is going to go back to the throne of God reassume those divine prerogatives that are there at the throne of God and take again that greater position and this is why Jesus is saying this is a good thing that I'm going away because I'm going to be able to exercise greater impact together with my father to help and to assist you as my followers he says in verse 29 and I've told you this beforehand before it comes so that when it does come to pass you may believe so notice Jesus says I'm revealing these truths and concepts to you of what's going to happen before it does so when it unfolds you'll actually be strengthened in your faith you'll be able to recall and remember as the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind wow wait a minute this is the stuff that Jesus was telling us about and now it's actually happening and he says I'm telling you ahead of time so when it does happen you'll know this is exactly what the Lord said to us before it ever came to pass. And he says, and you'll actually be encouraged when it starts unfolding and starts happening. The Lord 
because he is eternal. He knows all things before they come to pass. And so because of that, sometimes he will reveal things to you and to I before they actually happen. And sometimes this is so that when those things do unfold, we don't question whether it's him or not, but we know he told us ahead of time and it causes us to trust what he's bringing to pass and we can embrace it because he told us before it happened. And so then when it does start to happen, we can say, wow, Lord, this is what you were talking to me about. And now it's happening. Wow, Lord, this is what you were testifying and showing me about in your word and and it's actually happening now. And our faith is strengthened in that moment because we realize it's truly the Lord that's bringing it to pass. Look what Jesus says in verse 30. He then says, I will no longer talk with you much more, again, because he would soon be departing. And then he says, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So Jesus does reveal here that a powerful work of the devil is about to unfold, but that those efforts are not going to overrule what Jesus and his authority were there to accomplish. He he says there, the ruler of this world is coming. Now, three times Jesus uses that title in John's gospel, chapter 12, here in chapter 14, chapter 16 again, three times he uses that title to refer to the devil as the ruler of this world. Now, he's using that title for the devil to reveal part of the powerful position and what the devil honestly has capability to orchestrate spiritually, that he possesses a measure of rulership. The devil is referred to in the New Testament by similar titles. The God of this age in 2 Corinthians, he's referred to. In Ephesians chapter 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. 1 John 5 says the whole world lies under the sway, the direction or influence of the wicked one. Well, here's what happened and why he's called the ruler of this world. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God creates man. And he says to man that they are to what? Rule over the earth to subdue it and to rule over it. That man was to have a stewardship, to have rulership over the physical environment of the earth. Now, in the Garden of Eden, we know what takes place. Satan comes, he deceives Adam and Eve, they disobey the command of God, and instead they follow the directive of the devil instead. And they choose to follow the influence and the idea of Satan, they obey the devil's directive, and in so doing they forfeit the rulership that God had given to them in humanity over the earth, over the world, and in a sense judicially render that position to the devil. This is part of the reason why Jesus had to come as a kinsman redeemer. To redeem back what mankind lost in the Garden of Eden, the title deed to this earth. And so Jesus came, defeated the power of Satan as a man, and rightfully reclaimed the title deed of this earth that mankind lost in the Garden. Now, certainly, as you can see, Jesus has not fully taken over rulership on this earth as he one day will. But when he returns and sets up his throne, he will rightfully reclaim everything that belongs to him and that he now possesses as king of kings and lord of lords for those of us now who choose to come to jesus by faith as lord what he does for us is he breaks the control of the ruler of this world from over your life and he sets you free and he delivers you for those who will not come to jesus in this day and time they unfortunately remain under the power and the persuasion and the control of the ruler of this world system which is sinful and fallen 
Now, Jesus says here, the ruler of this world is coming. The idea is John 13, the devil indwelt Judas and Judas is about to come and betray Jesus to lead to his suffering. And Jesus says there certainly though, yet nothing that he's going to do. He has nothing in me or no claim over me. Jesus is trying to convey, yes, the devil's about to do his work, but his efforts to destroy Jesus are only going to fulfill the plan of God. He has no claim over what's happening in Jesus' life. He's not going to stop the plan of God. And can I say this for you and I as a follower of Jesus? How wonderful that that same pattern continues in our lives as followers of Jesus. Does the ruler of this world still try and ruin lives and deceive and influence us with worldly lusts? Is the ruler of this world, because he's angry that he lost his rulership over you, going to try and shipwreck you and destroy you and ruin God's plan for you? Yes. But even as we sang this morning, fittingly so, without planning it, even what the enemy means for evil, Jesus turns it for the good. And perhaps some of you can say, yeah, that happened in my life. Boy, the enemy was, boy, but what he intended for evil, the Lord took it and he spun that around and he made me love him more. Or he made me learn things more and the enemy can try something for evil, but Jesus can convert that plan of the devil to gloriously further fulfill the plan of God. Well, one more verse, verse 31, Jesus said that the world may know that I love the Father. As the Father gave me commandment, so I do. So he concludes this first teaching session in the upper room here by revealing how he himself wanted to show his love for the Father. And take notice, how did Jesus show his love for the Father? He says, again, by obeying the Father. By obeying what the Father told him. I think Jesus says that in direct connection to the upcoming efforts of the darkness of the devil, which will lead to Jesus' suffering and pain and ultimately to his crucifixion. Because here's the thing. Jesus had the authority to throw that off. Jesus could have stopped the suffering. He could have ended the darkness, but instead, what did Jesus do? Because he wanted to show his love for the Father, he submitted to it. He submitted to the will of God. He said, Father, it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus said, listen, I could have did what would pursue my will or comfort. Rather, the Father gave me commandment and I chose to do that instead. And he said, the reason why is because I wanted to show my love for the Father. To me, this is a beautiful thing. It mattered to Jesus while living as the perfect man to show his love for the Father. And how did he do it? By obedience and submission to the will of God. Hey, this morning, how much does it matter to you? How serious are you about revealing and showing your love for God? Jesus said we should love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how do we love God? Submit to Him. Yield to Him. Lord, I want to show you I love you by surrendering to you and saying in my life, I don't want to follow my feelings. I don't want to do what I want. But Lord, that's self-love. But I want to love you, so I want your will. And as you show me, that's what I desire to do. Let's stand. Let's pray together.